Americans. This is the Urbane Cowboys podcast with Josiah Neely of R Street Institute and Doug McCullough. Good day. Howdy, y'all. Welcome to the Urbane Cowboys podcast. I'm Josiah Neely with the R Street Institute. And I'm Doug McCullough. So today we have with us, you know, there was those, um, there used to be those ads a few years ago for some kind of beer. I think it might have been Dos Equis. I don't know. They had the, the most interesting man in the world and there was all sorts of uh, his adventures and he endorsed this particular bottle of uh, beer. So uh, Chris Arnott, I don't think is the most interesting man in the world. He may be like uh, the most interesting pundit in the world, or at least up there in just in terms of his life experiences and other stuff. But uh, Chris, first of all, welcome to the Urbane Cowboys program. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> most interesting pundit, man. That's yeah, that's yeah. an albatross to wear around your neck. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but, thank, but thank you, by the way. That is that is what they call a uh, negging. You know, it's what they call <laughs> negging in the. Uh, I mean, I, I know that you've had like four or five different careers in your life, so there's a lot of stuff. But maybe just for our listeners, you know, talk a little bit about your background. Uh, and we want to talk to so the, the reason we want to have, we, we had to have you on, uh, other than, you know, you're just a interesting conversationalist, but you have been recently just traveling around the United States, talking to people, taking a lot of pictures of, uh, architecture actually. Um, and, you know, trying to get a sense of, uh, the post pandemic, uh, or world or wherever we are at the, towards the end of 2021. But bef- so we want to talk about that. That's setting the stage for, the conversation, but before we get to that, you know, I, I think it would be interesting to, to hear about like some of your your past lives uh, and you know how you how you got to this place. Yeah, well, thank you very much. Um, I use the old Bugs Bunny quip: "I was born in an early age." Um, but um, <laughs> um, no, I um, grew up in a small town in Central Florida um, and uh, was really good at math. Um, kind of a, a math nerd. That was uh, my ticket out of the town. So I went up and got a PhD in particle physics, like <laughs> like anybody does. Like you do, uh, yeah. Like you do. And um, Johns Hopkins and uh, thought I was going to be, you know, was kind of focused on um, just learning about the universe. And uh, then I did a hard pivot from that to Wall Street, where I spent uh, 20 years as a bond trader. So um, if you've ever read Liar's Poker, that's exactly the firm I joined, Solomon Brothers. Or if you've seen The Big Short, that was kind of my life. Um, lived in New York City, was a bond trader, um, did all that, that stuff, let people do that stuff. And, um, then I, um, and then I did another hard pivot and uh, focused on um, photojournalism, I guess, although I don't like to use the word journalism, but uh, where I documented uh, basically the addiction, um, the opioid addiction from basically 2011 to 2017, I would say. More focused on photography, but pivoted towards writing. And then that got me into kind of pun- you know, the punditry stuff because I was driving around the country you know, writing about um, what I was seeing in all these towns. And uh, I'd Beyond, I was sitting in Portsmouth, Ohio, or Selma, Alabama, or Bakersfield, California, 
and you know during this process i'd go on twitter <laughs> and it was just kind of jarring what i was seeing in the country versus what i was seeing on twitter and so i kind of started doing some political takes um I guess I got some notoriety around then because I kind of was one of the few people who said Trump had a real shot to win. Um, and uh, that got me a lot of hate when he did win. Um, and then I focused on writing a book about that. So I wrote a book called Dignity about my time um, doing that. And since then, you know, post-COVID, I kind of went into a lockdown mode like everybody else did. Um, stopped punditing for a while. Did some, um, just, you know, I wrote a novel, actually. Um, but now, um, post-COVID, I'm back to kind of doing what I was doing before, which is I'm literally driving around the country and, and just walking. I, I, I go, I'm doing a series of walks across the various cities. I turn into a substack. stack. Um, I've been doing that now for about five months, I guess, four months. Um, I was doing a lot without writing about it before that, but now I'm kind of turning them into small essays. So it's called Walking America, where I go to a town and basically spend three or four days there. And two of those days or three of those days, I literally walk 20 miles across town and turn those into essays. And um, so um, that's kind of where I am now. Um, I guess I, I guess I'd be pundit. I guess I'm Pundington, 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 Pundington. I guess I'm a pundit. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, what you know, a pundit is someone who just like offers his opinions on stuff. So we're all pundits in a way, I guess. Um, just in terms of the logistics of this, uh, it, you know, you from talking to you, and then obviously from uh, your background and other stuff, you know, it's clear you you maybe have a little bit of uh, wanderlust, right? You know, you uh, always trying to set off on some other thing, but uh, which is very different. For me, where, uh, you know, in, in one respect, uh, the pandemic, in many respects, the pandemic actually was different, but not leaving the house so much was, was for me, remarkably easy. I know it was very difficult for other people, but so like when you're doing these trips, how do you even pick uh, where you want to go? Do you just like kind of wander around and just strike up conversations with, uh, with random people? How does it, how does it work? Yeah. I mean, um, I do lots of kind of mapping out. I spend a lot of time on Google Maps, man. But um, I, I do a lot of kind of like planning in general, like general ideas. Like I, like I said, I kind of want to do this trip where I spend two weeks on the road. And I'm going to go here, here, and here. But when I'm in actually in a town, that's kind of I just it's kind of just I just kind of do it by random. Um, I, I, I've got I've been doing this now, some form of kind of like driving around America, spending time, and basically places that are you know, overlooked places, loser places, you know, places of poverty or whatever um, for almost 10 years now. So I, I'm pretty good at knowing, you know, kind of how, how to navigate a town, where I want to be, where I don't want to be. But in general, you know, I find a really cheap motel um, near basically a McDonald's um, kind of just stay there and then take it take it from there. Just kind of let let events unfold. I try not to plan too much because the whole point of it is is not to plan. Um, that's the point of kind of walking twenty miles at the end of the day is just kind of let the let events unfold. I usually have some kind of end goal simply from a logistical standpoint of having to get home, like having having to end near a bus you know, so that that I can then take back, or or, or having to figure out 
you know, in some cities, you just, I mean, if you're going to walk for 20 miles, there's sometimes you just, you know, there's only so so many routes you can take unless you want to be the guy on the side of the interstate <laughs> about, to, about to die. Um, you know, so um, it's just kind of like I play things by ear and I spend a lot of time just kind of hanging out, you know, talking to people, just kind of being, trying to, trying to blend in to the degree, you know, I can blend in. You know, I spend a lot of time in McDonald's. Um, I spend a lot of time at Walmart's. I spend a lot of time in Applebee's, just, you know, just kind of, <laughs> and then dive bars, just kind of just sitting around talking to people and just letting kind of events unfold and not trying to drive, you know, not trying to be like, you know, one of the things that was frustrating about my early part of this journalism thing is this whole sense of like, I got to, I got to get the story. I got to get the story. I got to get the story. And I've always been more kind of just let the story happen. You know, the story will eventually reveal itself um, with me just kind of not trying to actively look for it. And so, so much of what happens is me just basically literally letting things happen and then going with, going with the events and not really being scared of going with the events. I mean, I think I just, you know, I, I go into towns thinking, Hey, I'm going to go to Florence and I want to write about blank. And I more go, I just want to go to Florence because it's a town that kind of Florence, South Carolina was one of the towns I've just recently. And well, you know, I've always kind of like, always liked the vibe there. So I'll just kind of like explore it some more. I don't really have a point, you know, beyond that. Um, you know, I try to put, I'm trying to pick in some geographic diversity and some, a lot of other diversity, but you know, it, it's, it's more just about what's my mood and what I want to, what I want to feel. Yeah. I'm sure I'm missing the the real plot here, but, uh, I, I, my, where my mind's going is like, does the 20 miles a day offset the McDonald's and the Applebee's? <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, some of it is just quite honestly is like as i got older like i i used to be able to eat whatever i wanted and you know like i was getting kind of over covid i was getting kind of puffy man and i'm like nope <laughs> i don't like that um so yeah i mean there there in general I, I walk about on average now about nine miles a day um because when i'm not even when i'm home i have this little loop i do you know uh, i have a 10 mile loop i do that kind of is it's just kind of what I do every day, um, you know. When it, just not partly just to be in shape, um, but also it's, it's, for me it's a great way to to, to think. Um, you know, just walking is is how I think, and um, I, I sometimes listen to audiobooks and you know, or sometimes I listen to podcasts. I just kind of like you know, but it, it's as much of it's just about kind of talking to people along the way and, and the people I meet and the things I see. I mean, you just get a really different perspective when you're literally walking a town than when you're, when you're zooming through it. And that was, that's kind of been the goal. I mean, I've always been into huge long walks. I mean, that's kind of how I got into my second, you know, my third career as a, as kind of doing the addiction stuff in the Bronx and the New York was I, I just was walking, you know, when I was a banker to kind of relieve stress or on the weekends, I would, I would do these long walks across New York city, you know, from, I take the subway to the end of the line and then just literally walk home, you know, you know, and so sometimes that would be 15 miles. You know, if you know, New York city, like one of my standard walks was basically from wall street to, to Shea stadium. So let's, let's talk about what people are thinking out there. I mean, like, what is the, what is the sense that you, you know, you talk to a lot of people, obviously it's hard to generalize, but I don't know, like, what are people thinking? Do they, they think like, uh, pandemic, pandemic's over, you know, that was some weird ass, uh, well, there's, you know, <laughs> I used the George W, uh, the George W. Bush quote, uh, 
what uh, I mean, like, I don't know, like, what what are their thoughts about like where things are right now? Yeah, I mean, it's really like I tell you again, it's one of those things that a lot of my early, a lot of my writings have been about kind of how divided America is between what I call the front row, the educated class, and then basically normies, what I call the back row. Um, I mean, it's just so divided. It's just like, like if you're like, you know, I was just in a bar recently over in Western Mass. And like, you know, one of the things I've learned is um, if I want to, if I want to be, if I just want to hang out and, and kind of fit in, I can't walk in with a mask. You know, if I walk in with a mask, I'm a weirdo. <laughs> and then there's other places where if I walk in without a mask, I'm yelled at, you know, but those two communities are extraordinarily like you can guess, you know, how they fall politically and how they fall, um, you know, economically. Like, you know, if I'm in a place around a college campus, you know, the whole theater around masking, the whole theater around COVID is, it's just, you know, it's just so intense. Then, Whereas, you know, if I'm just kind of in a normal place and, you know, like anywhere else, it's just people have moved on. Like they're done. Like they, they there may be risk out there, but they're done. Like it's over. Like they're just not going to put up with this anymore. Um, and then to come back and to kind of, you know, go, go onto a college campus or be around, you know, kind of wealthy wealthy communities in the Northeast, it's entirely different. They, it's not over. Um, it's not, and they're not going to let it be over. So it's really kind of a jarring, the, 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 the amount of theater around, around COVID on both sides. Like, you know, again, if I walk into a place and I have a mask on immediately, I'm like, I'm a jerk or I'm a clown. And in other places, if I don't have a mask, I'm a bad person. <laughs> so <laughs> like, it, it really is as two different groups of people have, have, uh, have are very different attitudes right now about the whole thing. And, um, you know, I, I look I, in terms of things like masking, like uh, when in Rome do as a riff, people want me to wear my mask, I'll wear a mask. People don't want me to wear a mask. I won't wear a mask, but it, the, the feel of the country is certainly not one where we're back to normal yet. I mean, there's, a, you know, I was writing about this recently. I mean, the, the Biden is toast because, um, for whatever reason, like, you know, he, he said, we're going to go back to normal and the country's not back to normal. And even in the places that have moved on mentally, like things are still not working. Like everything is off and everybody knows it and everybody's kind of annoyed by it. You're going to take this as an excuse to complain about some things, even though some of the things I'm complaining about are actually a couple months old, but there was a period a few months ago, I think this was during the summer where, you know, like here, here in in Austin and whatever, uh, a lot of the pandemic stuff, I think kind of, as far as I could tell, kind of went away early spring by the summer, you know, people just weren't caring, but you know, I, there was this experience where, you know, I go in, uh, so I, I don't, I don't, uh, spend a lot of time in McDonald's, but I do go into Starbucks and I went into Starbucks. I, I don't drink coffee, but I drink iced tea. And they said, uh, well, we don't have any iced tea. And I'm like, well, that's, that's a little weird. And then I went back the next day and they're like, yeah, we still don't have any, uh, you know, maybe, maybe in September, you know, <laughs> summer, summer. I'm like, okay. And then, uh, you know, I went into some other place and they're like, oh, there's a coin shortage. So you can't use, you know, you can't pay us in cash. Right. Or you have to use exact change. Uh, and then of course, you know, we had, um, uh, a leak, a, a leak in our tub. Uh, and so we had to, you know, have some repairs and just like finding a, uh, 
you know, finding a repairman who would actually call us back. And then, uh, even then it's like, well, you know, six to eight weeks before we can send somebody out, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff like this. My, uh, I, I know several people, my wife, um, they're looking to hire people and it's very difficult to hire people. And then they said that they had this weird thing where they'll, they'll do like an interview with somebody, they'll be excited and they'll be like, okay, we're going to set up like second in-person interview and then the person will just no show or whatever. So I don't know. It's just like, there's all sorts of, uh, yes, some of this falls under the realm of supply chain stuff. That's what they talk about. Some of it, you know, is like weirdness in the employment system. Uh, I'm obviously only seeing a little slice of it from a certain point of view, but all sorts of stuff that you used to just be able to take for granted. Now it seems like there's all sorts of weird hiccups in the, in the system. I, I assume that's part of what is like weirding people out too. Right. Yeah. I mean, everything is not work. Nothing's working. Like, I mean, things kind of move along. Like, you know, people, I actually, the thing is, is that most people have a good sense of humor about it. Like most people, you know, it's interesting. It's like, but it, but it, but it has, again, has, has added to this whole sense of like, man, this is like, you know, you talk about, you know, my, if, if you're on the road and you're kind of just doing stuff, I rely on the, you know, especially again, if you're walking 20 miles, I rely, there's certain things I rely on, like, you know, the, the, to be able to, to, to take, to, to, to be able to, you know, go into McDonald's and piss, you know, and charge my phone uh, to, you know, the, the, it's like it's a third of the time lobbies are just closed. There'd be a sign like, you know, we're closed <laughs> or, you know, or, as you said, there's just things aren't, you know, oh, we're, we don't have blank. Oh, okay. Um, and again, I think most people are given, given it, the, you know, it has all added up to piece of people being kind of really kind of annoyed with everything. Um, they, you know, mo- again, most people have a good sense of humor about, they understand this, you know, what's going on, but this is not what, you know, <laughs> this is not what the administration said was going to happen. There's a, there were going to, you know, Biden said he was going to return things to normal and, it, and it's not normal by any stretch of the imagination. It's not normal. And, you know, you, you couple that with the fact that again, there's two very different attitudes in this country about, you know, how we should move forward. Like, should we just like, you know, just, you know, I got vaccinated. You said it's safe. So I'm going to go act like it's safe. Or are we going to continue to do this kind of like, you know, wear your mask when you're, <laughs> when you're talking to me outside, you know, it's just this, um, this intense kind of very different attitudes towards where to go from here. Um, and it, it's more the second that has really kind of, to me is really frustrating because um, yeah, I think most people are kind of okay with the idea that, uh, you know, you know, it's a once in a lifetime pandemic, things are going to take a while to get back to normal, blah, blah, blah. But um, the income that kind of like the, 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 the volatility around the policy and the, and the inability of some people to let go of kind of this intense safetyism, you know, it's like, and certainly in elite spaces, there's a whole different, different attitude of like, we're not, you know, this, this is, you know, mask up, mask up, social distance, you know, but it, and, and it doesn't really impact their lives that much. It really impacts the working class. I mean, who was very, very, you know, being around other people and kind of having a normal physical relationship is really central to who they are. You know, I mean, sitting in, sitting, sitting in your house, zooming, is just not who they are. It's just not kind of central to who they are. So I think, I think if this continues much longer, I think it's going to be really bad. I mean, you can 
if, if the if the if the sticking with the kind of the, we're we're going to stay here and we're going to we're not going to move on from COVID. Um, if the political class keeps on hanging their hat on that, I mean, it's, I think the political ramifications are going to be far, far more negative. People, people are just, you know, normies are just tired of this, man. <laughs> like, you know, the, the ones who've gotten their shot have gotten their shot and they just want to go on and do their thing, man. Let me ask you this, that you talked about the different reaction to various, you know, the masking, different restrictions, different approach to safety and all that. And you've talked to a lot of people. Is there a... I don't want to make this too intellectual, but is there a is there an intellectual difference? What's the is this all just based on personality versus what one group's leaders say? Is there anything? Is there any substantive difference, like intellectual? What's the you know that we clearly have sort of two groups of people, but what's the apart from personalities that they're following? What's What's defining these different groups, in your opinion? I think a lot of it is just well, class. I mean, you know, meaning that, like, you know, do you have the luxury of being, you know, when you think about, like, my classic front row, the Zoom the Zoom generation, I mean, you know, working, you have a large home, <laughs> you know, your, your job is your career. That means basically you can, your job, you can generally do over Zoom. Like, you can buy a, you know, a, hanging out with people, hanging out with your buds, having, you know, knocking back a few and, um, you know, and go and go into the vape store and, you know, or whatever, or playing, playing pickup basketball. It's just not as central to them. It's just not as, and so kind of, you know, it, this whole kind of, you know, being very, being kind of very, very disciplined and being very cautious and kind of, you know, and working from home is, is very much, kind of fits in with the whole kind of, you know, professional lifestyle, um, the kind of co- college educated, um, kind of laptop you know, professional class. This all fits both personality and also it's, it's also convenient for them. You know, I remember when the pandemic first hit and, um, we were all, go- all going into lockdown. I kind of, you know, I did like a, I did some tweet that kind of went viral and subsequently have deleted a long ago, but about like, you know, the six and different, six different classes of, you know, people, you know, you got your person with your, you know, massive home and your th- three deep freezes versus your person who lives in a five floor walk up with four generations, <laughs> three generations and sh- eight people sharing one bathroom, man. Like, <laughs> uh, but it's also, I was talking about the laundromat gap, you know, there's people who need, still need to use a laundromat. You know, and it's just it's just a very different way of what you value. You know, do you value physical community, um, or do you value kind of more intellectual community? And uh, and it's not surprising to see the two. It, it fits very much with kind of the back row, front row framework I've come up with in the past. But I think there's also uh, there's another there's another framework here which crosses across class. And it fits more kind of GOP versus Democrat, which is like, how do you make your money? Like, I, I kind of break up the two camps into the fixed income camp and the equity camp. There's fixed income people who have kind of relatively steady incomes, and they're uh, you know, and their and their employment's kind of steady. You know, kind of bureaucrats, tenured professors, you know, b- monopolistic businesses. They're, they're kind of have a they kind of have a fixed income framework and kind of like you know there's not a lot of volatility their earning streams uh, they're, they're, at a personal level. I mean those people are kind of 
pretty happy with the lockdown. I mean, it hasn't really hurt their bottom line that much, you know. And this could be, again, this can be from someone who's very wealthy, um, you know, like someone who, like, like an Amazon or a Google versus kind of a monopolistic business versus like, you know, um, like so, someone who's literally on a fixed income, like a retiree, like, you know, who, who has a stable income. Uh, or, or even somebody like some of some of my some of my friends who are on um, disability, they you know they have a check that's going to come no matter what is the lockdown is happening. Those people are generally more pro lockdown, and then you have kind of you know people who are what I call equity businesses, and that would be like the corner drug dealer. <laughs> His income's all over the place, and but it also is people who run casinos, you know, or people in kind of oil and gas where there's kind of a boom bust cycle in terms of the um, small businessmen, people who run lawn care businesses, people who own like, you know, lockdown's been bad, small restaurants, the lockdown's been bad to those people. And so, and, and, and those, those people, you know, are generally Republican in mindset. So I think, I think there's a lot of, you know, a lot of different ways you can dice and slice and dice it. But in general, I mean, the most pro lockdown group, both from kind of, their, kind of both their bottom line, like, does it hurt, does, you know, does it work, does it fit their lifestyle? Does it also, does it fit their personality is kind of overeducated left, the overeducated liberals. They really, I mean, lockdown kind of is exactly who they are, <laughs> you know, safety first, <laughs> you know, um, uh, work from home, triple mask, um, you know, those, that's kind of the classic front row kind of hall monitor type that I kind of, you know, when I, when I have this front row mentality, I don't necessarily just mean extraordinarily bright people, but I also mean people who are, who follow the rules, you know, who are kind of the, the teacher's pet who kind of get, you know, that's, cla- that's, that's almost like the midwit meme, right? You know, that's the, that's the middle bulk uh, in the midwit meme versus kind of the, the two extremes of people who kind of are much more kind of risk, much more, prone to risk and much more kind of like, you know, more willing to, to live life in a kind of more you know, volatile way and in a, in a more physical way. And that kind of is, you know, more the Republican base and uh, so more the back row. So I think there's a lot of, I think the COVID policy really maps onto a lot of political, already existing political and class differences out there. Have we made any progress uh, I mean, I guess we, ha- I guess I know the answer. The answer is no on uh, like opioids, the opioid epidemic or whatever. It seems like it's worse uh, than ever now. I mean, are, are, but, but, think, but again, this is, this is very fitting because, you know, so much of what happened, you know, a lot of what I write about is community, community. And I, and I don't, I don't mean like, you know, like people you work, you know, you, you, people you also share a career with uh, and, and interact with the office and, you know, like, like a journalist or, uh, you know, a banker, but like, you know, community, like people you slug beers back with, people you like, you know, who are really central to you, you pick up basketball games with, that's, ex- that's immensely important to people, like physical community, physical relationships, um, you know, in, in and in not in a just a transactional way, <laughs> you know, like so much of the front row in the educated class community is about transactions. What are you going to do for me and what can I do for you versus like, hey, man, I just want to hang and we're just really, you know, we're, we're there. You're, you're my friend. Um, that's so important. And I think a lot of the front row forget that and a lot of the policy classes forget that. And I think that's largely there's there's a lot of that 
that, that that's a lot of what's behind the um, the um, the opioid epidemic is that we've kind of lost that lost sight of how important physical community is to people. So these towns were like, you know, that I think the technocrats, people playing sim world, you know, said, Oh, that's okay. You know, we just, you know, all that matters is, you know, economic growth. Who cares about if, you know, the bowling alley is gone or the church is gone. You know, well, people care. <laughs> that stuff is bad. And COVID is another sign of that. The whole lockdown, you know, the, the whole removing kids from school, all that stuff. That, that's we really, really, that's a really ugly thing we did to some people. We really took away a lot from them. We, I mean, and, and we're seeing some of the consequences of that. People are, people are really, we're going to look back like in 10 years and go, what the fuck did we do, man? Like we really fucked up, especially kids, especially teenagers. Like we really fucked them up, man, by, by denying them the ability to hang out, just hang out with each other, you know, to, to, to really, you know, I think, I think the technocratic class front row kind of looks at, it doesn't fit their spreadsheet. Like, oh, who cares? You know, how important is actually hanging out with each other? And, you know, how important is it to kind of go to the bar once in a while and hang out with people? It's extraordinarily important. <laughs> I mean, people really need that. And I think we've really, the lockdown has really fucked up a lot of people. And it, you, sometimes, you know, I see it sometimes when I go into these, you know, these, like Applebee's or bars that have, have opened back up, people are just so happy to be back again, <laughs> so happy to be out and hanging out, and you know, just, just they don't. Have, I mean, and if you're like a kind of a classic technocrat, you can go in there and go, "What are they getting from this?" You know, like the classic egghead question. Hmm, what are these people getting from this? <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> like what's 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 the goal here? The goal is this: people like to be around other people, man. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's it. It's just like, and, and that's really essential to people. You know, you got people got to be around other people. We're, you know, we're that's we're 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 very you know we're very we're very um we're people we're, we're a very communal people animal. Like we just need to be around other people. And I think policy class has forgotten that. And the opioid epidemic and then the spike now and again is is a sign of that. Just talk a little bit about the path forward, if there is one. I mean, um, uh, you know, so you talk a lot about the front row kids versus the back row kids, right? And it does seem like increasingly our politics is divided along that line um, between, I mean, another way you might put it is, I mean, there's obviously all sorts of political and social indicators that split based on whether you have a college degree or not, right? That's a, maybe a rough social science metric for the front row, back row thing or whatever. And um, that doesn't seem to me to be a great way to organize uh, like political divides in the country, particularly if you want what's best for the, for the back row kids. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. It, it doesn't actually seem great for either side. Um, is there any, like, what, is there any path forward for that? Is there any way to deal with that? Um, what, what, what do you think? I mean, I think it's going to deal with, I mean, you know, if I, if I, I feel like I, at some level, I deserve, um, not that I actually ever toot my own horn, but I got, I got, I got attacked a lot in 2016, 2015 for saying the educational divide is going to be a huge political thing. It is huge. And of course, you know, now here we see it. Um, I feel like time has vindicated that view. Um, 
I mean, what's going to happen is I like my next piece I'm writing from a Substack. I wrote a is basically along these lines, which is like I think that you know the Democrats are fucked like in the long term, if they don't, if, if they become the party of the educated professional class, they're fucked. Um, because that's, I mean, simply from a, from a political standpoint, that's not how you, you can't win elections that way. There's not that many of you, <laughs> you know, us, whatever you want to call it, you know, and uh, if you can become the party of the, of white educated class plus uh, African Americans, I mean, that's just not going to work politically. That's not going to, especially it's bad, in, you know, especially in an electoral college system, but because both groups tend to cluster together. Um, but, but even more than that, going forward, if the Republicans become the party of uh, more and more, which I think they, they're, they're moving towards, it becoming the party of the back row. I mean, that's the winning position you want to be in. That's, that's how you win elections. Um, so I think what happens is, is you know, politics is going to force the issue. Like if you, if the elections actually happy fairly and all that, that, you know, being, being the party of the back row will, is, will, will, will win you elections. And I think it will, in some senses, sort itself out. Um, I'm not, I mean, again, it's not necessarily like, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not like a complete, you know, you could, you could have done what I've done and come out with very different, you know, uh, people have asked me about what I did and like, you know, my 12 years of doing this and all that, like, you know, you know, in your empathy, blah, blah, blah. I said, you know, you can, you can do this. There's another, there's another universe where you can walk in and do what I do and come, come, come out of it, a completely elite snob, <laughs> you know, who says, wow, oh man, <laughs> the back row has really weird politics and boy, I don't want them to get in power because they're going to mess shit up. So, you know, that world could happen. Uh, you know, there, there is advantages to the front row as well. I mean, the, the, you know, there. I'm not going to go full Tom Nichols and say expert, 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 but you know, the experts have their role, <laughs> and so kind of a true populist back row party, which the Democrats, Republicans, you know, isn't necessarily going to lead to the great, the best politics in the world that are going to make things better. Um, so I, I think you know, I think what's that sorting will will lead to very volatile politics, and then very very ugly politics eventually. And but it but it's happening. So I, I'm not a very you know I'm not very um, I'm not an optimist at all um, because I, I I don't see the Democrats the Democrats can't help themselves. They get getting they're getting pulled in by their activist base um, into being kind of because their activist base is all college educated. Um, who are more and more out of touch with the country. Um, they're getting pulled into this politics of being this. Um, and, uh, you know, if the Republicans wouldn't step on their own tail all the time, they could become the party of the back row. Um, you know, if they, can, if they could shove the front row out more and more, and they could win elections. Um, you know, I'm not sure what, what, what that will mean in terms of uh, policy, but I think that's the direction we're going. You mentioned that you had written a novel which I guess would be, you know, so physicist, bond trader, photojournalist, pundit, novelist uh, would be five. So what, what what can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, I went, during COVID when I was locked down, I couldn't do my I couldn't do my being out with the people thing. So I, I wrote a novel and <laughs> being being stuck in my room, writing a novel very front row of me. Um, it's about basically it's about the the. Uh, basically about banking. Um, it was about me very, very, very lightly about, um, 
I was I was part of kind of the mathematical revolution of Wall Street that happened and uh, the kind of quant takeover of Wall Street. So it's basically about that. It's about a um, a math a math geek who goes to Wall Street and uh, and the kind of so, social um, you know what there really was um, you know Moneyball was about how mathematics took over baseball. Um, in some senses, I'm some of my novels about how how um how mathematics took over Wall Street. Um, with a little bit of a uh, bonfire, the vanities thrown in in terms of class stuff going on, um, but we'll see. I, ha- I have to finish writing the third draft. I, I took a break from. I-, I was too close to it. When you write, you know, when you spend seven months writing every day, you- you- it's hard to see the novel anymore. And uh, hopefully, we'll get that. I'll get that out in like six or seven months. So, all right, we'll we'll, we'll look for that. And in the meantime, thank you very much for joining the Bank Cowboys. All right, guys. Thank you.